Holly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. Hello, hello, hello. This is Polly Campbell, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy so that we can do work that matters and live the lives we want to live. I, I think this is about a holistic approach, not just to our health and well-being and our mental health, but also to creating more energy and creativity and connecting deeper in our relationships so that everything we're doing is elevated and energized and we just feel better. I think it's the moments of our day that make a big difference. And we don't have a whole lot to give to those moments if we aren't getting good sleep. And if we aren't dreaming, I will be straight up. Last night, I did not sleep well. I was restless. I was up in the night several times. I also didn't take care of my sleep hygiene. You know what that means? I, I went to bed looking at my phone. I did all the things that get in our way of getting a good night's sleep. Studies show that most of us aren't getting enough sleep. And when we don't, not only does it impact our physical health, but it also impacts our mental health and the processes like dreaming that support all the other areas of our life. And I want to get into it today. Today, we are talking to Dr. Ruben Nyman. Welcome, Dr. Nyman. Thanks, Polly. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. Dr. Nyman is a psychologist, clinical assistant, professor of medicine, and a sleep and dream specialist at the University of Arizona Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. He's also the author of several books that explore not only the health aspects of good sleep, but also the life and spiritual and soulful aspects of good sleep. His recent book is Hush and also check out Healing Night and his others. I think it's going to illuminate things for you. And, and uh, plus, it's just a really good read. So go check out Dr. Ruben Nyman's work. And I'm going to launch in, Ruben, with tons of questions here. I think there's so much to this. And when I read your work, you really incorporate this on all levels. Often we hear research or doctors saying, hey, you need to do this to get a good night's sleep, but there's more to it for you. You look at the whole experience of sleep, the dreaming process and the refreshing process and the learning process. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of sleep and how you began looking at those. Well, I, I think one of the questions that that is um, virtually never addressed both in, in professional circles and sleep medicine and, and uh, you know, among people and consumers, we, we, you know, we're striving for good sleep and, and God knows, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of, of articles, um, you know, in print and, and internet media, but, you know, we never ask um, or answer the question, what is sleep? Um, and, and that's a very critical question. And, and um, I wrote a piece for HuffPost years ago entitled, We Don't Get Sleep Because We Don't Get Sleep. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't know what it is. And when, when you ask people what sleep is, they'll typically tell you, they'll try to define sleep by what it's not. So for example, we do this with health. Most people think being healthy is not being sick. 
right? It's called a negative definition. Uh, I'm not sick, so I'm healthy. I'm not awake, so I'm sleeping. I'm not conscious, so I'm sleeping. I'm not aware, so I'm sleeping. In fact, in, in sleep medicine, technically, the, the, the term for uh, true sleep is, is NREM, non-REM, meaning, well, what is sleep? It's not dreaming. So we, we kind of delude ourselves into thinking when we, we, we know what something is not, that we know what it is. And knowing, knowing that, um, thinking that, that health is not disease uh, is really a limited approach. So we're left with the question, what is sleep? And, and if you look more closely at it, you know, clinically, scientifically, um, what, what happens is that uh, scientists, professionals try to define sleep in terms of its biological correlates. In other words, we look at what goes on mostly in the brain, somewhat in the body, and we say, aha, uh -huh, that's sleep. We see changes in neurochemicals, firing of neural networks. We see specifically, we see changes in EEG, you know, and, and we say, aha, uh -huh, that's sleep. Well, that's not sleep. That's what the brain does. Um, th that's a correlation is what goes on when we sleep. Sleep is a, is a deeply personal experience. And sleep, sleep is a consciousness issue. And, and that term kind of throws people, but that's what it is. Most of us don't think about consciousness. We're conscious, but we don't think about it. Um, fish don't think about water. Um, well, I, I guess that's a presumption because, uh, you know, many of us really have never sat down and had a conversation with fish. But I'm sure if we did, <laughs> you know, if you said to the fish, hey, you know what, you, you, this, there's this thing, it's all around you. You swim in it, you live in it, you eat in it, you sleep in it, you breathe in it. And, and you just, you can't see it. And the fish is going to go, right. So not until a fish or a group of fish happen to leap up out of the water, uh, you know, they jump up and they're, they're startled and they, they come back to their fish watery world and they say, you guys aren't going to believe this. There's this thing, it's called, it's called unwater. <laughs> so that's, that's the unconscious. And most of us think that the unconscious is, is out of reach of consciousness. We, we think that sleep and we think mostly dreams are unconscious. And, and, and they are in the sense that, that they're in another space that we don't really look at um, in the same way we look at waking. So the big fundamental problem um, with sleep and the reason we don't sleep is we are wake centric. We, we have, it, it's similar to ethnocentrism, if we're familiar with that. You know, years ago, anthropologists presumed that, that our culture was the culture, right? You know, we got it right. And we looked at other cultures um, in terms of our culture, we evaluated and we compared and contrasted elements of that culture to our culture. We do that with sleep. We look at sleep, we look at dreams, and we think that they are secondary, uh, meaning that, that waking life, the consciousness that we have now, um, is the gold standard for consciousness. This is what it means to be alive. And we presume, we as people, we as professionals, that the, the reasons we sleep and dream, that, that sleeping and dreaming are secondary they're subservient, that the only reasons we sleep and dream are to make us better waking people. There's no doubt that sleeping and dreaming are critical in that they, they function in so many ways to make us better physically, mentally, spiritually. But it's, it's a huge mistake, in my opinion, to think of sleeping and dreaming solely 
as servants of waking life. They are uh, fundamental kinds of consciousness in and of themselves. When we get that, we begin to shift our understanding and our relationship, our personal relationship with sleep and dreams. I just feel like my mind and my brain expanded 10 times there. I have never heard it talked about like that. And it something clicked in for me because what okay. you're saying is it's a, a different part of our life experience that is essential and important as the time I spend waking. It's, it's a separate and connected thing to how we live our lives then. You know, so many of us at one point or another have had a dream. You dream that you're in a house or a large building or in your house, and suddenly you, you find, oh, my God, there's a room you didn't know that was there. There's an attic. There's a basement. Mm -hmm. It's like it was there all along. And, and there's this epiphanal light that breaks in and illuminates some really interesting things. It's like that. Um, just presuming that there's nothing there, there's nothing to be seen is a big mistake. And, and sleep medicine, my field, um, unfortunately endorses this. We, we pretty much have taught people that sleep is unconscious, uh, that we, we the professionals, have special access. You know, we're, we're informed and learned enough. To, to, to know, we know more about sleep than the average person, and we don't. We know what goes on in the brain. The truth is the brain doesn't sleep, we do. It's a subjective experience. So we have to begin respecting, really honoring our personal experience of sleep and not letting all of the science override that. The science is important. It's more important for dealing with sleep disorders and, and it does get in the way with understanding normal sleep and dreams. You say that we are wake-centric, which really is a great description for me. If, if we're focused on what we're, how we're spending our time when we're awake and getting the most out of that day, is the fact that we're, many of us aren't having good sleep experiences, is that just because we're not making it a priority or is it more to it than that? Well, I think it's both. I think many of us, if we believe waking is it, this is life, right? Um, then we, we end up um, carrying waking into the world of sleep. We look at sleep with waking eyes. We try to understand sleep in terms of its relationship with waking. So what you described like last night, you know, you, you were you used the term sleep hygiene, which is interesting, but you, you were not good sleep hygiene. You probably have some lights on or we're looking at devices. That's waking. And many of us, probably most of us, drag waking life into bed, into the bedroom, into the night. We light up the night with artificial light. And so we're, we're so attached to, to that. Wake centrism um, is the primary cause of hyperarousal. So hyperarousal, the term arousal in, in sleep medicine uh, really is a synonym for waking. And hyperarousal is, is about being too awake or excessively awake. A uh, great example of hyperarousal is um, dear old Michael Jackson. Um, and he, you know, he was a, a really a contemporary expression of the myth of Icarus. Uh, many of us remember Icarus as, as um, the Greek uh, fellow who, who fashioned wings of wax and tried to tried to fly toward the sun. 
he got higher and higher. And of course, his wings melted and he came crashing down. Well, Michael Jackson is an example of what we call the puer, the boy, the flying boy. We also have flying girls. And in our culture, we want to be high. We, we love for things to go up. We want our mood to be up. We want our buildings to go up, our rockets to go high. We want our, our consciousness to be high. Um, you know, Michael Jackson's, uh, he was associated, his, his characteristic move was the, the moonwalk, right? And he couldn't come down. He couldn't land. He named his estate in California after the Peter Pan uh, uh, notion, he named it Neverland. So hyper arousal, if, if we think waking is all there is, and we want more and more and more and more waking, then we fly metaphorically higher and higher and faster and faster, and we have trouble coming down. And, and, and you know, tragically, of course, he, he, he escalated his use of, of substances, of medications, and, which finally ended up taking his life. So we are hyper aroused as a culture. Um, I used to live in California. When I go back periodically, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of um, how hyper aroused this sort of laid back Southern California culture actually is. When you get on the freeway, um, virtually nobody is driving within the speed limit and everybody is you know, 75, 80, 85, 90. And if you drive slower, um, you recognize how there's this group think, there's, there's this subculture of hyper arousal of speed of fastness and hyper arousal is the primary cause of insomnia. There are other forms, but the vast majority of people who can't fall asleep, can't fall asleep, not because they're, they're not sleepy enough, but because they're too wakeful. So aside from the obvious physical and mental health deficiencies, a poor sleep process, causes. I mean, the fatigue and the illness that it can lead to. Mm -hmm. Aside from the physical impacts, who cares? Like, what if I can only sleep three hours a night and, and still feel good? What is it doing in the other side? You talk about your concern over the loss of our dreamscape and these other parts of our mm -hmm. consciousness. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. And, and what's the problem here? Yeah, well, so waking waking is important. Uh, the way we do waking in our world is primarily driven by thinking. <laughs> and thinking is, is really one of uh, several different types of mental processes. And we're, we're kind of addicted to thinking. It's part of hyperarousal. But thinking focuses our attention. Um, without going into detail, really, the, the thinking has only one function. We think to solve problems. We, we create representational models of events or situations. So we can think them out in our head rather than just doing them and trying them out, which these are trials we run. But um, if, if all we have is thinking, if all we do is thinking, then everything we, we focus on is a problem. So Abraham Maslow used to say, if all you have is a hammer, you'll think, you look at everything as a nail. Uh, and we are a culture that thinks all the time. Most people lead lives that are just basically focused on solving problems. And, and there's a certain satisfaction that comes with that. But the, there's something uh, I call stub-toe consciousness. Um, most of us at one point or another, or sometimes many points, we've stubbed our toe. You're walking around barefoot and you hit a piece of furniture, right? And it's an interesting experience when you stub your toe for really a, a part of a second, uh, there's no pain. You know you stubbed your toe and you know the pain signal 
is, is moving rapidly from your toe and up your leg, up your spine, and it's going to hit your brain in a matter of, you know, half a second. And um, it's interesting, a lot of people at that point um, turn to their toe and they curse at it. You know, but stub toe consciousness, in the moment you stub your toe, your entire universe shrinks down to your big toe, right? Um, pain does that. Pain shrinks consciousness. It, you know, if you poke yourself or cut yourself or bump or something, or even emotional pain shrinks our consciousness, you know, and, and, and this is necessary. It's a survival reaction. But in our world, I think most of us live in varying degrees of stub toe consciousness. We live in small worlds. Mm -hmm. And, and um, a lot of that I think is, is um, symptomatic of depression. So the way we do, uh, and if you think about it very simply, today compared to past generations, most of us focus on small things. So I'm sitting in front of my, my um, desktop computer. I have a big screen. Uh, iMac. I mean, you know, it's 20 some inches, but you know what, compared to looking out the window or going outside, it's a small focus. You know, I smoke, I focus on the document or I focus on my iPhone or my laptop when I'm out. And um, we spend a lot more time looking at smaller things, thinking about solving problems. All of that stuck to consciousness is, is the opposite of dream consciousness. In dream consciousness, the frame comes off. Uh, we are no longer restricted in time or in space. And, you know, we, we, it's expanded consciousness. Um, and, and there's a kind of breathing that goes on. I'm not arguing against the need to focus and contract our attention. We need to do that at times, but we need to expand it. And we don't, you know, we, we are just, in our world, we're just so constricted. You know, we live smaller and smaller lives and uh, we lose our sense of passion. Um, we dig, we're digging deeper and deeper into holes. And I think that's evident, you know, psychologically in many lives and, and politically and everything in between. I want to talk more about this. We're going to take a little break and come back and talk about how we can work to create more of a dream consciousness in our life with Dr. Rubin. Nyman, we'll be right back after this. And we're back. Polly Campbell simply said right here with Dr. Ruben Nyman talking about dreamscapes and sleep and consciousness, how we can create and start you know, working with our own dreamscapes. How can we settle into this and learn that this is another form another part of our life, not something we do until we're awake again. <laughs> yeah, it's an important question. You, you know, um, there's an old, old saying uh, out of the Hindi tradition that says all of the struggle to learn when all, all we really have to do is remember. And I think that's true regarding sleep and dreams. Um, we, we, there's a part of us that knows how to sleep and how to dream. And, and it's about opening up to, to that. It's, I, I think too, part, part of the difficulty with sleeplessness and hyperarousal is there's so much emphasis on being extroverted, you know, focusing outward. And what sleep and dreaming does is it pulls us back in. Um, we, we let go of the waking world. So this is the first step, is the willingness to let go of waking, to surrender, to, to act on, on trust 
that there's something inside of me, there's something inside of each of us that we can trust. We're discouraged from that in our world today. We don't really trust the unconscious. We don't trust the, the sort of automatic processes in, in our, our brain and neurology. But, but it, it's a willingness to move into that. If we open our minds and our hearts, if we just become willing um, the dreaming part of us will speak to us. So we want to dream at night, which is where dreams are most evident. Um, you know, stars, for example, are there all the time. There's stars present when we're awake during sunny days or lit up days, but we can't see them because the, the, the brightness of waking life obscures them. So the dream or dream consciousness, which is there all the time, we dream all the time, uh, is much more easily observed and experienced at night. So number one, in order to dream well, we need to sleep well. And if there's a trick to sleeping, again, it's a willingness to let go of waking and, and, and to look at whatever fears we might have about that. Um, when we do that, when we dream, when we sleep well, we will begin to dream well. And we want to begin to practice this practice of bringing the dream, reconnecting, reintegrating the dream with waking life. And we do that, number one, by remembering our dreams. Um, we remember our dreams in a very simple way. We remember our dreams by lingering with no intention in grogginess. Mm. So the, the, the term grogginess comes from the English uh, rum drink, grog, and, and it implies that we awaken drunk. And so most of us have been taught to be uncomfortable with grogginess. And in fact, grogginess is, is a beautiful, hybrid, exquisite state of consciousness. When we are groggy in the morning, we are partly asleep, partly awake, and partly dreaming. In fact, and those three primary forms of consciousness are all present in the morning. It, it is, in, in certain traditions, considered a whole consciousness. In Hinduism, it's Turiya. Um, the word Om, many of us who do yoga, we've been chanting Om, um, which can be written O-M or A-U-M. And Aum, A-U-M, actually is the combination of three sounds, A-U-M. Mm. And each of those sounds represent waking, dreaming, and sleeping. Mm. And so, so in grogginess, we are in own consciousness. When we linger there, when we wake up, we don't jump out of bed, you know, because the alarm is driving us. The dream or elements of the dream will begin to show up. We, we need not chase the dream. If we do, it will recede like a little puppy. Let the dream come to us. That's a practice day after day, week after week. And whatever comes, even if I remember, wow, there was a dog in my dream or I saw a tree, or um, then bridge that to waking. We want to rebuild the bridge between the dream world and the waking world. We do that by journaling, write the dream down, and or talking about our dreams. Um, if you have a, a bed partner, that's the politically correct term now, uh, who is receptive to dreaming, and that's really important, then we talk about it. If the partner is not, 
we don't share dreams with people who aren't receptive. Do we then do all our dreams have a message? Do we interpret them? Do we pull out a dream dictionary? You know, there, you know, doctor, there's a ton <laughs> of stuff out there on the market and people who counsel about dreams. Is it enough just to remember our dream and journal about it and explore it through our own consciousness? Or do we need to take it further? Yeah, this is also a really important question. So um, if you don't mind my using a little French dream dictionaries are bullshit. <laughs> um, they, they are pro what they do is is they drag the dream into the waking world if the dream was a fish the dream dictionary pulls it out of the water throws it down on a plank and cuts it up it, we pull it into the waking world the real the way to to bring dream consciousness into our lives is to learn to swim so uh, dream interpretation is important but but most of it in my opinion is really misleading we try to understand the dream as a reflection of waking life and and a lot of dreams do reflect waking life and it's important to understand that but um the dream is also it's a looking glass that that will reflect waking life but we can go into the looking glass and that takes us into transcendent that that allows the dream to expand us rather than shrinking the dream down to try to understand it as an, a reflection of waking life we can let the dream expand us make make us bigger open our hearts and minds so we relate to it as a mystery uh, so that's a different that. approach to, to interpretation. I love that. But relate to it as a mystery, allow it to expand us. And that simply start today. I'm going to linger in grogginess. When we wake up in the morning or from a nap or anything, don't go right into waking. Allow yourself to be in that grogginess and, and see what you notice. And then journal about your dreams if you'd like. But I, I love that idea of First of all, lingering anywhere, right? Nobody lingers. Yeah. We're all Linger rushing. Yeah, We're all yeah. rushing. Slow it yeah. down. Linger in that space between waking consciousness and sleeping consciousness. And uh, I think that's going to hold some interesting ideas for us. And I'm curious about that. I'm going to give that a try tomorrow. Doctor, this is important stuff. How can we find more about you and the work you're doing? Uh, my website has um, all of that listed. It's it's Dr. D-R-N-A-I-M-A-N, no period, D-R-N-A-I-M-A-N. Or if you Google my first name, R-U-B-I-N, and the word sleep, you'll find a lot of my work. Uh, and if I could put in one quick plug. Sure, please. The, I'm active with the International Association for the Study of Dreams. It's, it's an incredibly diverse and wonderful group ranging from scientists to shamans. Uh, we're meeting this year. We happen to be meeting in, in my hometown in Tucson this summer. If people are interested in dreams and also the, the organization offers dream study groups and all kinds of resources. Well, I think this is worth learning about and experiencing and exploring. I'm excited i'm excited to go lingering grogginess right now i mean i want to go very cool <laughs> and i'm polly campbell you can find me at polycampbell.com and also i'm writing um some essays available now at polly campbell simply said on substack so you can see how i'm integrating some of the things i'm learning in these podcasts in my own life sometimes with great effects sometimes i'm not doing so well but that's pretty much the human experience isn't it thank you for joining us today Dr. Ruben Nyman, check out his work and uh, linger in grogginess. Allow our consciousness to be whole, to experience these different facets of life, give time to it. And when we do that, I think we will all live well, do good and be happy. 
Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.